Let us hear God's word. Romans 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. The grass withers, the flower fades, for the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Well, as we come to uh, this portion of Paul's argument, uh, you know, sometimes we hear people ask the question, what happens to the person who lives in a remote society who has never heard the truths from God's word? Are they going to be judged too? And of course, there are various answers that have been given to this question. Some people say, well, no, how can they be judged if they've never heard the truth? Others say, yes, they will be judged. And others, such as C.S. Lewis, will say, as long as they're truly sincere about what it is they believe, then, yeah, they can go to heaven. So, as he said, a sincere believer in Tash, the Calarmine God, uh, even a person like that can end up in heaven. And so today you might correspond that to a sincere believer in Allah, is really believing in the true God, and so he's going to end up in heaven, or something to that effect. Well, what does Paul say? What does the scripture say here? I think it's quite plain. Well, thus far here in chapter 2, Paul has exposed those who think that they are a good person, that they are nice. And he basically says, no, you're not. There are not any people who are good. It is only because God's standard is altered that anyone can delude themselves into thinking that they are a good person and God is happy with them. We receive blessings not because we deserve them, but because of God's grace and mercy. Paul then presents, you might say, the main point of this opening section, even beginning back to chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20, 
And, and here, as we saw last time in verses 6 to 11, um, in many ways we can argue this is his main thought here, and that is God has a standard of justice, and it applies to everyone. And it's been this way from the beginning. And so whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, a Christian or a non-Christian, male or female, rich or poor, black or white, blue collar or white, whatever distinction we may want to make, it doesn't matter because all of us are judged fairly according to God's standard. And it applies to everyone. There's not one standard for someone and a different standard for somebody else. And that standard is God expects us to be perfect. And so all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, God gave that standard to Adam. And he told Adam that he had to obey perfectly. We in our circles call this the covenant of works. Others call it the covenant of life. But the basic point is this covenant is still in place. It has never been put aside, even now that Christ has come. Every human being must obey God perfectly. We all must be holy as God is holy. And if we do, if we are, then we will receive eternal life. We will receive blessings. If we don't, we will receive wrath and condemnation. God is impartial in this way. He is unbiased in this way. His standard applies to everyone. Well, now as we come to verse 12, he continues this argument and adds in now some more ideas. And verse 12, you might call it a kind of theme verse for this uh, subsection. And then in verse 13, he starts down the path of those who have the law. uh, And then he stops. And in verses 14 to 16, he talks about those who don't have the law, the Gentiles. And then he returns to those who have the law in verses 17 and following. And uh, he ends with uh, the teaching on the covenant sign, circumcision, and how uh, these verses are so significant in our understanding of circumcision and therefore baptism. But he begins with this kind of theme idea, you might say. And so let's read verse 12 again. It says, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Obviously, there are two opposite ideas here, right? And so some have the law and some don't. Now, what law is he talking about? Well, as I've said a number of times now, basically every word in Romans is debated in one way or another. And so some give different uh, answers. But I think it's pretty straightforward. Those who have the law are those who have the law of Moses, the teachings of the Old Testament. And those who don't, obviously, they don't have the law of Moses. They've never been given it. And so they have not received God's special revelation. Certainly in Paul's context, this would refer to the Gentile, not to the Jew. Israel received it. The Gentiles did not. If you turn a moment here to Ephesians uh, chapter 2, Paul says the same thing here, though he words it uh, a bit differently. But it's the same basic idea. Uh, You may remember I've said on other occasions that Ephesians is kind of the Cliff Notes version of Romans. Well, here you go. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so prior to Christ's coming, the Gentiles were on the outside, and they didn't receive any of these blessings, including the law of Moses. And yet Paul says here, even though this is true, when the Gentile sins, and he doesn't have the law of Moses, He's still judged according to God's standard, right? His standard applies to everyone, including those who never read the scriptures. Now, how is this the case? Well, remember what we saw in chapter 1. And let me read again at the end of verse 18, right? Men suppress the truth and unrighteousness, verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now notice how this applies to what Paul is saying here in Romans 2, verse 12. Everybody knows that God exists. It doesn't matter what anybody says, if they say they're an atheist or whatever. It doesn't matter. Everybody knows. And everyone knows several things about God, including his law. We know various aspects of his law. When we look around us, we look at the sky today, beautiful, right? Blue sky, sunshine. We look at the leaves around us. We look at ourselves in the mirror. We look at things under the microscope, whatever it is. Whenever we see these things, we not only know that God exists, but we know that God is the only true God. And so therefore, I am responsible to worship him. I am to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know that just by simply looking around us. We know that law. Furthermore, when we look around us and we see how much God cares for the things that he has made, not only in his creation, but in his providence, as he cares even for the unbeliever by providing food, shelter, and clothing, and so forth. Because we see God caring for everyone, even those who don't believe and trust in him and so forth and obey him, okay, you see then that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. You see the summary of the law, loving God and loving our neighbor, we see that just because of what God has made and, of course, what God does providentially. Um, we can look at the laws in mathematics. We can look at the laws of physics, the law of gravity. There are laws that God has put into place. So therefore, right, the Gentile still has law in this sense. And deep down, he knows, she knows, that we must obey the true and living God. All right, now, let's look at the contrast here in the verse. The contrast, of course, are those now who have the law. As he says it here, uh, as many as sinned in the law, that's how the New King James says it, your translation may say with the law or something like that, uh, will be judged by the law. And so to be in the law or with the law means to have the law. The law of Moses in particular, but of course all the scriptures ultimately. And so those who then sin among the Jews who have received God's law are going to be judged by that law. Again, you see Paul's main point here. He's impartial. There's not one standard for 
a certain group of people and a different standard for others. God is impartial. Whether we have the law or not, obedience is what matters. Do we keep God's standard or not? Okay. <clears throat> or to put it another way, do we obey that which we know? Jews obviously know more than the Gentiles. Okay. Those who go to church today know more than those who do not. And so we're going to be judged according to what we know. So Paul is saying two things here. On the one hand, the person who never goes to church doesn't have the word of God, and yet he does have knowledge of truth and is going to be held according to that knowledge. We have much more, and we're going to be held according to that. Okay? And so those who know many things in the scriptures are going to be judged more strictly compared to those who have less. Or to put it another way, those who know many things about the scriptures are more evil sinners when they sin compared to those who know less. Now, remember what we saw last time in verse 9. Paul says, Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. This, this was a shocking statement. The rabbis didn't say these things. Now, the prophets did before that, of course, but, but Paul is saying something that would have shocked his listeners, his readers. Okay? But that's what he's saying. We are held really now, verse 12, to a higher standard. That's why the Jew is judged first. Now, you know, we do this in everyday ways. We hold a sixth grader to a higher standard than a first grader because that sixth grader knows better. Or we hold an 18-year-old to a higher standard than, say, a 13-year-old. So if an 18-year-old commits a crime, they're held to an adult standard. A 13-year-old typically is not. They're a juvenile. Maybe they're warned or something like that. Yet sometimes a juvenile is treated like an adult because they should have known better. But we have the same kind of idea. It's, it, it's um, a... A, a basis of what we know and what we don't know here. Now, this doesn't completely fit with Paul's words, but it certainly is along those lines. The degree of severity of judgment is based on the degree of revelation. That is why the Jew, or the believer, is judged first, because we know better. So, overall, Paul's point is simply this. The Jews have been given God's word, the Gentiles haven't. Okay? And yet God is judging according to whatever somebody has. He is impartial. All right, now as I said before, this is kind of the theme idea. Now he develops this, there's more to say. And the first thing he says is in verse 13. And it seems a bit awkward because he expands on it then in verses 17 and following. But he puts it here. And so let's address it here briefly then. In verse 13, for the, not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. All right, so Paul begins now this word to the Jew, the one who has the law, right? He's going to turn to the Gentiles and back to the Jew. But notice how this verse has to apply to the Jew, because how can a Gentile hear the word read? They don't have it. So he's clearly talking about the Jews in this verse. 
Or, again, if we were to apply it today, he's talking to the Christian who has the scriptures. All right, now, what Paul says in this verse is not all that unusual. Um, On the one hand, there were some rabbis, we have some documentations, that would say the same thing that Paul says here in verse 13. So it wasn't shocking like verse 9 was, for example. Um, On the other hand... There, were, there was the common understanding of the law that Paul is addressing here. And again, he'll say more about it in verses 17 and following. And the idea is simply this. I have the law of Moses. I possess it. Or I hear it read at synagogue. And so, therefore, I'm, that's enough. I'm right with God. God gave it to us. We hear it read every Sabbath day. God's happy with us. That's the basic idea. Now, now let me pause and just say this here a moment. We are so used to having all kinds of scriptures, right? Every pew here has multiple uh, Bibles in it. Probably every one of us here has multiple copies, and you probably have one on your phone here and so forth. Um, And yet, back at this time, typically... If they had all the Old Testament, it was in the synagogue. And some synagogues did not have all of the Old Testament. They only had portion of it, like the Pentateuch or maybe uh, the writings or something like that. And so when Paul says here about hearing it, that's part of the reason why. They don't have it at home to read it. Somebody reads it for them when they go to synagogue. And so... Uh, They would have their continuous readings like we've been doing uh, here reading through the New Testament. All right, now, back to our point. We can make some application for ourselves here today by talking about the scriptures, but we can also expand on it here in this way. For professing Christians who think that merely coming to church is enough to be right with God, or just having your name on a church roll guarantees we're going to be in heaven. Or for those who think that my baptism externally is sufficient. Or I wear a cross. Or not many years ago, it was the WWJD wristband. Or today, maybe it's those who have a Bible verse or some Christian symbol tattooed on their arm. You know, for those who think that that's sufficient that doing those things in this external kind of way is going to be enough to be right with God, right? They're missing the point. Okay. But let's take it now next, another step here. Even if we read the scriptures daily, even if we pray on a regular basis, or do other Christian activities, this does not necessarily mean that we are right with God. Doing the law is what matters, Paul says. All right, let's turn to James chapter 1 here a moment. For James says the same. James and Paul are not at odds with each other, and clearly that is the case here. James 1, and in verse 22 he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. 
But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Okay, so again, outward things like hearing the word is not enough. We must obey. All right, <clears throat> but let's turn now to Matthew chapter 7, because Ma- uh, Jesus takes us another step here. In Matthew 7, we come to one of these passages that uh, uh, is a bit unnerving. Matthew 7, verse 21, <clears throat> not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And we pause here. When Lord is used here in repetition, it's to emphasize sincerity. Jesus is speaking to the person who is a committed Christian, you could say. Someone who is going out of their way to serve the Lord. But he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Or, I go to Bible study every week, I read through the scriptures every year, you know, I've done all these things, right? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Not only is mere possession not enough, obedience is required. But external religion is not enough. We must do the law from the heart, Jesus is saying. Notice how he continues with the the famous parable. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will be, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so Paul is speaking, if you will, in the James sense. Jesus is taking us the next level here. And as we come back to Romans chapter 2, you see how it's fitting with Paul's words in verses 7 and 10. Doing righteousness, seeking intently after the things that honor God, this is what is going to result in vindication on the day of judgment. All right, now, we will expand on those thoughts in verses 17 and following. But here Paul's primary point at this point in his argument Paul is still telling us the principle of perfect obedience is what is required. This is God's standard. The covenant of works is still in place. Mere possession is not enough. Insincere obedience is not enough. Perfection is what is required. This is God's standard for those who have the law, for those who have the scriptures, That's a great blessing, but it's not enough. Outward religion is a great thing to do. It provides a number of blessings. But sincerity of heart is what God requires. All right. Well, again, we're going to have to stop that thought, and we'll return to it 
here in verse 17. But let's now segue into verses 14 and following. Hey, do you see how Paul's words in verse 12 in particular raise some questions for us? How is it fair that God judges those who never have received his word, his law? How can the unbeliever be held accountable if we never hear the truth? Now, I've already answered that question by taking us back to chapter 1. But Paul's going to give us another idea here, and we'll see that as we go through these few verses. So, verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. All right. Um, Obviously, he returns to verse 12. And this is somewhat uh, of a shocking statement as well. But, you know, we've lived in a society with um, Christians for generations. And it is somewhat shocking for us to encounter someone who has never heard anything about Jesus in the scriptures. There are certainly communities in our country where that is the case, but for probably everybody here in the church, we've grown up in the church. It's kind of shocking when we encounter someone who's never been to church, never heard about Jesus, except maybe in a swear word or something. Um, And yet, Paul here is now saying to these people, they have the law of God. So let's put it into question. How can someone who has never read the Ten Commandments still do them? Well, Paul's first answer is to say, because though they don't have the the Ten Commandments, that person is his own law, he says. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to say these are a law to themselves? Does that mean we're autonomous somehow? No. No. He answers that question with verse 15. For he says, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. This is how someone is a law to themselves. They have the law already inside of them. They don't have it externally, but they have it within them. That's how they are a law to themselves. Again, we can talk about God's law seen in what he has made. That's just not what Paul is emphasizing here. But what he is saying is that God has placed inside of every human being, you might say, the Ten Commandments, his law, his word. And every person that God has created, this is the case. And so even though many people have not heard God's law in Scripture, they haven't audibly heard it, they haven't physically picked it up or seen it, Everybody still has the law of God within them. You might say in the core of their being. And so no one can say they don't know. Not only chapter 1, no one can say, well, I didn't know God existed. Everybody knows. They can't give this either. I didn't know God's law. I didn't know I was supposed to do this or not do that. Everybody knows. And it's because we're all made in the image of God. We all have his law. We all have a sense of right and wrong. We all have a moral compass. Some people historically have called this a natural law. By nature, in the sense of since we were born, since we were conceived even, 
we've had the law of God in us. Now, in our circles, we prefer the term general revelation because natural law can lead down the path toward autonomy, and and we're concerned about that. Um, But God has revealed himself generally in every single person, not just by what he has made, but by putting his law in us. And so this is why God is impartial. This is why God is fair. And he judges according to the truth. God's standard of justice is known to everyone, including those people in the remote tribe that have never actually heard something about the scriptures. Now, those who have the Bible are held to a greater standard because we have more knowledge, we have more information. And those who don't have it are held to that amount of knowledge. So maybe you think of a scale of 1 to 10. And on the low end is that person in the middle of nowhere who has never heard anything about Jesus. But they still have the law of God in their hearts. They still can look around them and see what God has made. The 10 on this scale would be the person who has the scripture and is taught accurately the word of God. And then you have a range in between. Those maybe who've never been to church, but they've heard some things about Jesus. Or those who go to church, but it's a mainline church and they're not really hearing much truth. You know, you, you can see a range in here. But the point is, God is judging according to the same standard. Some people have that standard in a less precise way and a less thorough way, but it's still the same law. Okay? They still know enough to do rightly. Now, yes, we can't forget what we learned in chapter 1. Everybody suppresses this truth. We don't want to think this way. We, we, we want to push it down and, and, and so on, but it's still there. And so not surprisingly, every culture in the history of the world have had standards of right and wrong. And as you look at them, most of them follow what we see in the Ten Commandments, especially what we call the second table of the Ten Commandments. The nation surrounding Israel at the time, in the Old Testament, and even in Jesus' day, they had laws forbidding adultery and stealing and lying and murder. Even in our nation, that has been so intent in the last generation to remove the seventh commandment from the criminal code, people still know it's wrong to have affairs, even though there is affair.com if you want to have one. Deep down, everybody knows that this is not right. Everyone knows that open marriages do not last and it leads to hurt and jealousy and so on and so forth. Another example would be this. Everyone knows that a man cannot be a woman, no matter how many drag shows they try to do or whatever. Everyone knows that a man who competes in women's sports, that's just unfair. Everybody knows a man going into a woman's bathroom, even if he's dressed like a woman, that's just not right. People have tried to convince themselves it's right, but deep down, everybody knows this is not the right way of doing things. You don't need God's law to know that. All you have to do is look at a man, look at a woman, right? We're different. (laughs) It's that simple. But let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Because God does give us a specific law in these ways. Deuteronomy chapter 22. And give a 
a few examples here in this way. For this one, look at uh, verse 5. <clears throat> a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, we can debate whether or not women should wear pants and so on. Okay. But the main point is, right, men should not dress like women and vice versa. Everybody knows this. Okay? No matter how much pride they talk about, hey, it's pridefulness and sin, of course. Look at um, verse 8. When you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. Here is the explicit law that God has given to Israel and to us. Okay. Now, let me give a little background here. You remember in Israel, most of the time they had flat roofs. And so they would use their roof for social gatherings or whatever it was, right? And so put a fence around the edge of it so nobody falls off and gets hurt. That's the specific law. But don't we see unbelievers doing the same thing? Who've never heard Deuteronomy 22, verse 8. Right? They put fences around their pools. They don't want kids to fall in accidentally. We put railings along our highways. We put fences around our pastures so the bull doesn't get out and gore somebody. I mean, people do this. It's just natural. You don't need the scriptures to tell you to do these kind of things. Because God put it in here. He put the sixth commandment in here. We are to preserve life. And everyone knows that. We may suppress that truth. But do you see the point? I'm not saying we don't need the scriptures in an ultimate sense. But do you see what Paul is saying? Okay. Even the person who doesn't have Deuteronomy 22 verse 8 knows what God's law is and is going to be held to the standard of preserving life. And if they don't do that, they're going to be punished accordingly. Not surprisingly, our criminal code has that very thing. If a construction crew is, is working, they don't put up barriers and somebody falls in or drives in, they're going to be held accountable for that. We know that that's the right thing. One more example here. If you look down at, uh, or up at verse 1, Deuteronomy 22, verse 1, You shall not see your brother's ox or a sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. God is specifically saying, love your neighbor. Help them when they're in need. But again, I know a lot of people who are not professing Christians, and as far as I know, they haven't heard Deuteronomy 22, verse 1, and yet they help their neighbor in need, don't they? Again, it's because God wrote it inside of us, as well as as we look at the things he has made. And so as we look at these particular points, do you see Paul's overall point? God is fair. He's not judging us with a different standard. Now, he is judging differently in the sense that some people have more clarity than others, and so they're held to a higher standard in that sense, but it's the same standard. Okay? And so unbelievers are not judged by a standard they don't know. They have the so-called natural law. They have general revelation in creation, in providence, and it's God's law is written in our hearts. No one is ignorant. No one has any excuses. And so whether you have the truth by grace or by nature, 
Whether you have the truth through special revelation or general revelation, everybody has enough to be held accountable. And in this particular point, everyone has enough to know what God's standard is. And that standard is perfection. He requires us to serve him, to obey him in every single way. Okay. So, what does this mean for us? All kinds of things. But remember, when we are studying the scriptures, part of what we are doing is believing what it says. This must be in our understanding. But you see how then this can impact how we are relating to others. Remember we saw some of these teachings in Romans 1 impacts how we witness to people, how we evangelize, how we do apologetics. The same is true here. This understanding is going to impact when I am speaking to an unbeliever. Okay? Because deep down they know the truth. We know they know the truth. And so approach them in that way. <clears throat> All right. Well, as always, there's much to say. But here is the main idea. And so next time we will expand on verses 14 to 16 and look at Paul's other points that he makes in these verses. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word and what you teach us here. We praise you that you are the one true and living God, that you are over all things as maker, as sustainer. And uh, we praise you, Lord, that you are um, abundantly known in the things that you have made and what you have placed within us being made in your image. And so, Lord, we pray that we would come to see you as impartial, as judging according to truth. And may this impact not only our knowledge, but then as we witness to those around us, as we come to them with the truth, may we witness consistently with your word. Lord, we also then um, ask that you would help us not merely to hear your word, but to do it. And not merely to do it in an external way, but sincerely from the heart, according to the teachings of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be merciful in this way, and that um, we would uh, live lives that are honoring and pleasing to you uh, through Jesus Christ. We pray all of this then in Jesus' name. Amen.